Amen. Amen. Amazing grace. How precious did that grace appear the hour we first believed. Believed on our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Lord, great, great, amazing God who loved us so much. You gave your only begotten Son. Father, I think everybody in this room that's had a born-again experience with you and everyone over the year that had a born-again experience with you, Lord, they're, they're thinking back to that day right now when your amazing grace showed up in our lives and we traveled from darkness to light, from the kingdom of the devil to the kingdom of God. When our sins were red as scarlet, but now they're white as snow, all because of your amazing grace, Lord God Almighty. Thank you for Jesus. Thank you, Holy Spirit, for revealing Jesus to us and for giving us the courage to say yes and follow after you. And Father, we thank you for Jesus. You said, Lord, that you receive all your glory through your son, Jesus Christ. And Father, we worship you through Jesus by the power of your Holy Spirit. Lord, thank you for that amazing grace that, that you gave to each and every one of us and the amazing grace that you still have for those that have not committed their life to you. Lord, we pray for them right now that they indeed would come under the blood of Christ and believe in Jesus, that their sins might be forgiven as they repent of them. And then the Holy Spirit began to illuminate their lives all because of your amazing grace. Thank you, thank you, thank you, Lord God Almighty. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. For those of you who just tuned in, you're listening to Freedom Church in the Palm Beaches, and I'm Pastor Joe Trapani. We're glad you're here. For those here, you may be seated. For those online, stay tuned. Uh, we're going to have a special message from Jim. He's a chaplain. He has a ministry called Travel Ministries where he's going to leave not this coming week, but the week following. He's headed out on his his uh, yearly tour. The uh, first year I met him, he traveled all the way up into Alaska. <laughs> and I thought, man, you know, God leads him as he goes, and he has divine appointments everywhere he goes. And just, you know, you know, a lot of people think that these great ministry harvests, you know, where you have big revivals like the Billy Graham things, and, and people get saved and they come to know Christ. But you know, really, when you think about it, more people are one over to Christ, one-on-one, one-on-one, -on -one. One -on -one. and that's the truth, that's the truth. Think about your own life. Did you get saved at a big seminar, or was it one-on-one, -on -one? you know? So, you know, it's a very important ministry. So, um, anyway, Jim's going to share with us today, I believe he's Galatians 6, 7, 6, 7, and the message I'm going to blow is thunder away. You are what you say. Think about that. Okay, Jim, come on up. Thank you, Pastor Joe. You're welcome. This thing working? Yeah, it's working. So I'm happy to be here today. And um, if you've been following my teachings over the last year, they are archived on the website, freedomchurchpb.org. So you can uh, hunt there and for my name and 
look at some of the previous teachings I've done. Uh, today's teaching will be up there in a few days. It takes a couple days to load them up to the website. So yes, my ministry is called Traveling Mercy's RV Ministry, and I use the RV to travel wherever I can drive to. If I can't drive to it, I'll fly to it. And I've been all over the world for Jesus, having a lot of fun. So uh, if you'd like to follow me and see what I'm doing and where I'm at, uh, I have a Facebook page under that name, Traveling Mercies RV Ministry. And there's also a group page under Traveling Mercies Ministry. I wanted to tie up those names so nobody else would use them. I just launched a website under Traveling Mercies RV Ministry.com. It's a work in progress. Uh, some of the links don't work yet, and some of the photographs are just placeholders that I need to replace with um, uh, more appropriate ones. But there's a few things there that you can browse around and look at, and uh, if you have suggestions, I'm definitely open because website is not, not one of my uh, spiritual gifts. I've put off creating one for years. People kept saying, oh, don't you have a website? And I said, well, I don't know how to do that. So I finally got some help from uh, some of the people here at Freedom Church who got it started, and uh, I need to put more input into it. So in the case of um, what you say, there is a lot in the Bible that talks about what can be said or should not be said. Uh, God speaks through his word, and his word is immutable, so it's a commandment. When the king speaks, his word is, is a command. And so when Jesus would say something, people paid attention. And it, uh, he doesn't change his mind. If he said something was good in the Old Testament, it's still good. If he said it was bad in the Old Testament, it's still bad. Many of the promises in the Old Testament were for the Jews and for Israel. And you'll see later in my teaching that uh, that also applies to us. So I chose as a foundational scripture, surprisingly, I think there was kind of a big question mark over Joe's head when he asked me what my foundational scripture would be, and I said Galatians 6, 7. It's like, well, what's that got to do with it? You'll see. So uh, there's some handouts scattered around the room here. Uh, if you don't have one, look for one, pick, a, pick one up. If there's uh, unused ones sitting around, uh, hand, them out, hand them out. There's uh, some more up in the front rows here if you run short. For people out there in internet land, um, I don't have a convenient way to send you the handout, but if you uh, send me an email at travelmercy, one word, no space, at aol.com, I will be happy to send one to you or drop a message on the uh, Facebook page. And um, I'd like to have a way of regularly distributing the handouts that I normally make so you have the scripture references and so on to retain and uh, meditate on. Galatians 6-7, Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever a man sows, this he will also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption, but the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. Let us not lose heart in doing good, for in due time we will reap if we do not grow weary. So this is an immutable law of the universe. It works for the unbeliever and the believer alike. A unbelieving farmer can buy a bag of seed, plant it, and expect to get a harvest. So much more, the believer who prays over his seed, prays over his land, prays for, for rain, prays that the uh, hail and windstorms will not come, and he gets a better harvest. But these laws apply to everything. It says, uh, for whatever you sow, 
this you will also reap. Well, you reap after your own, its own kind. So if you plant corn, you'll have a harvest of corn. If you plant wheat, you'll have a harvest of wheat. If you plant lies, you'll reap lies. If you plant, plant love, you'll, you'll reap love. So in the um, parable of the sower, Jesus talks about how uh, in the parable, the meaning of the uh, sower is that he is sowing the word of God. And it talks about the different kinds of soil that the uh, seed would fall on. Some good soil, some bad soil, some halfway good soil, reduced crop if any. But the good soil generates a crop of 30, 60, or 100 fold. And this is a uh, very high return. This is not a 100% return. This is, this is more than that. So um, we want to sow uh, what, what is good into good ground. And that's the connection to Galatians 6, 7 is it's always after its own kind. Whatever you speak is what you're going to get back as a, as a crop, a harvest. And there's always an increase. You know, the, the bag of seed the farmer buys um, is not that many seeds. And yet, for example, if he plants corn, uh, each stalk of corn will have perhaps a dozen cobs, each cob having 27 ra rows of kernels. And so it's actually more than a hundredfold return. Kind of an interesting uh, sidelight. So God speaks. Uh, everything that uh, God spoke into existence he were, were through his words. It was created by, by what he said. He call, and then Jesus called things not as though they were. So in other words, he described it not as it actually was, but how he wanted it to be which is how we should be speaking. We don't say, you know, this is messed up. We say, here's how it should be, therefore I will speak that into it. I speak that about myself, you know, every morning. I, I say, I'm, I'm rich and good looking and I, you know, a blessing to everybody I encounter. Well, is that always true? Well, perhaps not, but that's what I speak. And so the way this works is that what goes out your mouth goes into your ears and faith comes by hearing faith by the word of God so if you speak the word of God the word of God goes in your ears that's connected to your brain your your uh, soul realm the mind will and emotions and they all start to do whatever is required to make what you speak come into fruition there, there will be fruit good fruit or bad fruit so my point here is that you've got to be careful what you say. Think before you speak because what you say is what you're going to get. That's what your crop will be. That's what your harvest will be. And there may be a hundredfold return. You know, if I speak hatred and I get a hundredfold return, that's a lot of hate. Well, what's wrong with our world? Too much hate being spoken. Don't do that. Speak it as it should be. Speak it as you want it to be. And watch it come to pass. So we all know that James talks a lot about the tongue. There's a lot of scriptures that have to deal with talking, the tongue, words. It's all the same thing. James in 3.8 says, uh, No one, except perhaps God, that's my comment, can tame the tongue. It's a restless evil and full of deadly poison. With it we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse men who have been made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come both blessing and cursing. So first of all, when we curse another person, we are basically 
disrespecting God because God says they are made in my image. Why are you disrespecting my my creation? You know, that's that's not what would please God. So not only is it sowing seeds into the world that are negative, but you're also showing disrespect to God. We don't want to do that. So blessing and cursing come from the words we speak. You know, you can bless somebody with your words. That's obvious. Everybody likes a compliment. Uh, I got one this morning. Somebody said, oh, you look good this morning. And they said, wait, we don't want to mean that you don't look good the rest of the time. I said, well, I'm from Florida. You know, all I ever wear is T-shirt and shorts. So I dress up when I come to church and put on a pair of jeans. And um, that's the way we are in Florida. It's going to be 90 degrees today, and it's already getting hot inside. And I may have to shed this jacket. But um, cursing, you know, a curse operates in, in, in the spirit realm. Uh, when you say to somebody, you're a jerk, you know, you, you are putting a curse on them. They're going to behave like a jerk because you just told them that they are one. When you point at your kid and you say, you're stupid, you're never going to mount to anything, you just put a curse on that kid. He's going to suffer that the rest of his life if he doesn't know how to break it. And so we all too often speak idle words that we don't mean, and yet the spirit realm doesn't know whether we mean it or not. All it hears is what you said. And so, um, you know, it's, it's easy to say something like, I think I'm coming down with a cold. You will. You just told the whole creation that you, you believe you're coming down with a cold. Well, if that's what you believe, that's what you should get. So everything in your body is saying, oh, this guy wants to have a cold. I've got to do what I have to do to make this guy have a cold. What do I do? Oh, I diminish my immune system. Well, you put a curse on yourself. You know, blessings and cursing comes from the word of your mouth. So they can bring both good or evil. Be careful what you say. If you're a born-again, spirit-filled believer, you've got the Holy Spirit in you, the power that raised Jesus from the dead. That's a lot of power, and that power comes into play when you speak it. And so um, that's the problem here with the born-again believer who is speaking evil words. Uh, it's very powerful because the Holy Spirit is basically responding to what you have commanded as a child of God. You know, I, as, as uh, Pastor Joe said, you are what you say. You are what the Bible says you are, you know. I am the righteousness of God in Christ. I am seated in heavenly places. People say, oh, I'm just an old sinner. Well, then you need to get saved. Because if you're an old sinner, you, you, how can you possibly be seated in heavenly places and, and the righteousness of God in Christ? You know, you're, you're speaking evil over yourself. You're not an old sinner. You're now a born-again believer who sometimes messes up, but not intentionally. You, you really don't want to do that. You make mistakes. We all make mistakes, and it's still sin, and you might have to confess it as sin under 1 John 1, 9. It says, if you confess your sins, God is faithful and just to forgive your sins and to cleanse you of all, 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 all means all, unrighteousness, because the problem is unrighteousness. God can't deal with unrighteousness. He can deal with your sin. We'd never get saved if God couldn't come into the presence of sin. Because we all start out as sinners. James 3.3. 3. 
Now, if we put the bits of the, into the horse's mouth so that they will obey us, we direct their entire body as well. It's amazing how you can put a little metal bit into the 1,000-pound hor horse's mouth, and you pull on that thing, and he'll come to a screeching halt, even though he wants to keep going straight ahead. Enormous power there. It says, uh, look at the ships. Although they are so great and are driven by strong winds, we sti are, uh, still is, are still directed by a very small rudder wherever the inclination of the pilot desires. So here's this big ship, relatively small rudder, and it can actually turn it against the wind. So um, the tongue is a small part of the body, and yet it boasts of great things. More power there for, for a little organ in our body. You can uh, probably cause more harm to somebody by speaking than you can by punching them in the nose. Like the rudder of a ship, the little tongue can produce big results. Keep it under control by the renewing of your mind to the Word. You know, if you speak the Word, meditate on the Word, think about the Word, these other things don't tend to come out of your mouth so readily. It, when it says renewing your mind, what it's talking about is meditating on the, on the Word, continuing to think about, you know, ruminate on. It, it, it's supposed to create the picture of a cow chewing its cud, and you just kind of chew on that Word. It don't just read it like you read a novel, but stop and think about it and do word studies. Look up the meaning of the words in the, in the concordance and see all the different meanings that they can have. And, and sometimes the one that the translators chose is not, not the best choice. It's not a wrong choice, but, but not always the best choice. Study it. It says, show yourself approved. Study to show yourself approved. So God approves of you studying his word, and it pleases him. So Colossians 3.8. Now Colossians is one of those books that maybe a lot of people don't pay attention to. Uh, many years ago, somebody said, if you were going to be marooned on an island and never get rescued, and you could only take one book of the Bible with you, which book would you take? And I thought, well, I'm already a born-again believer, so I don't need the gospel so much. Um, I know about end times prophecies, so um, you know I've, I've pretty well studied that out. So probably Romans. Romans is a big book. It's got a lot of information in it about the Christian walk. Yeah, I, I would maybe choose Romans. And then I came to Colossians, and I can tell you if you spend a year meditating on the book of Colossians, you'll have a much better Christian walk. Colossians 3 is probably one of the most amazing you know chapters in the book of Colossians it says but now you also put them all aside anger wrath malice slander and abusive speech from your mouth in other words just don't do it put it aside think about what you're going to say before you say it and um, you know these are the the deeds of the flesh and we don't want to speak the the words of the flesh we want to speak the words of the spirit so we're supposed to be walking in the Spirit and praying in the Spirit. Now, all those of us in the full gospel you know, environment believe that uh, praying in the Spirit means praying in tongues. Some churches say, no, you just get real spiritual. You know, you got to think real spiritual. Well, that's okay. If that's what you believe, do it. But I think it means <laughs> speaking in tongues. And when you speak in tongues, you are praying a perfect prayer. You are praying a better prayer than you can think out of your head. And that's why tongues is so powerful. 
is that when you just don't know what to pray, you don't quite know how to pray, pray in tongues, and a perfect prayer will go forth that uh, is much more effective than what you can do. So Colossians is a great book. Study and meditate on it and think before you speak. Ephesians 4.29, Let no unwholesome word proceed from your mouth, but only such a word as is good for edification according to the need of the moment, so that it will give grace to those who hear. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God. When you speak something that is not edifying, you are grieving the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit in you is saying, you've just said something I don't want you to say. And it's going to stir that conflict up within you, and it's a very uh, unpleasant feeling. But when you think before you speak, uh, you tend not to do that. The Holy Spirit is already tuned into your spirit, and it, 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 he knows what you're thinking. And so when you're thinking to say something stupid, the Holy Spirit is going to say, well, wait a minute, that's not a good idea, if you are tuned to the Spirit. And we have a lot of people in the church who just don't hear what the Spirit is saying, or they would prefer not to. It's like, well, I don't, that isn't what I want to do. Well, God wants obedience. You know, and I like to try to be obedient to what God calls me to do, even when it's inconvenient and sometimes unpleasant. He takes me out of my comfort zone. I'm an introvert. And for me to go out and speak to strangers about personal things like, like religion is extremely uncomfortable. And so God has pushed me out beyond my comfort zone. And I'm out there doing things that people say, what in the world are you doing that for? You know, 80-year-old guy out roaming around the country. I've been all over the Middle East. You know, people say, well, you're going places that aren't even safe. If God told me to go there. If he sends me there, he's going to protect me. So everybody who's with me is protected also. The safest place you can be is with me when I'm going to one of these crazy places, like Egypt or Jordan or Turkey. I've been there. And so um, it's, it's what's coming out your mouth, you know. You, you say things that are edifying. When you're dealing with the Palestinians in uh, the Middle East, you know, you got to be careful what you say because they'll go on a rampage if, you, if they say something that, you know, they think blasphemes uh, uh, Muhammad. you got to be careful what you say. you got to be careful about your gest gestures. You know, we say, right on, good. Well, this is a really bad gesture in the Middle East. You know, I won't tell you what it means, but you can ask me later if you want to know. Don't, be, you know, be careful what, what the cultural implications are of what you do and what you say. So, it's talking about unwholesome words, you know, those special words that we say when somebody cuts us off in traffic. You know, I do that. I got to catch myself. Why did I do that? That was, that was foolish. Proverbs, there's, there's just all kinds of stuff in Proverbs about talking. Proverbs 12, 6, the words of the wicked lie in wait for blood, but the mouth of the upright will deliver them. What in the world is that saying? Well, the w wicked person speaks evil and death. Our words can deliver, bring healing, and break curses. So when somebody says something evil, we can counter that with the power of the Holy Spirit and make it to no, of no effect. So what you say is not always what will come to pass. You, you can stop it. 
we have that that power through the Holy Spirit. Proverbs seventeen twenty seven: He who restrains his words has knowledge, and he who has a cool spirit is a man of understanding. The guy who can remain calm when everything is is going bad is viewed as uh, someone who is wise. Even a fool, when he keeps silent, is considered wise. You know, how do you know something? Somebody's a fool until he opens his mouth and says something foolish. So he's considered wise until proven otherwise. When he closes his lips, he is considered prudent. Uh, I don't say, you know, we're all unwise, but there are times when we make wrong choices. We don't have all the information. We, we, we make a rash judgment, and it's just wrong. So everybody looks at the guy and says, he's an idiot. Well, there's times when I've really been an idiot. Try not to do that anymore. So Proverbs 18.21, you know, in, in this case it was better not to speak. Some things should go unsaid. You know, there's, there's lawyer, lawyer questions that they will ask you in court. You know, when did you stop beating your wife? There's no way to answer the question. It, it's it's self-defeating. So um, the words you sow will bear fruit. The good man eats the fruit. Um, I say, see Proverbs twelve fourteen. A man will be satisfied with good work, uh, with good by the fruit of his words. So not only do the words cause uh, fruit to be part of the harvest. In other words. We don't want the corn plant. We want the kernels that are on the cobs, which will grow later. Uh, but in the case of the words of our mouth, it is fruit in itself. It, it is the fruit. And so um, you can eat your own fruit. And that's why I say you get what you say. A man will be satisfied with good by the fruit of his words. Remember the tree of good and evil. Pear trees grow pears. Apple trees grow apples. Everything reproduces after its own kind. So the tree of good and evil it has evil fruit and good fruit. But God said if you eat the fruit, you will surely die. In other words, if you eat the good fruit, you will die. Well, that's kind of hard to wrap your mind around, isn't it? So the point is that when God tells you to do something, obey. Because the warning is there. He says, if you eat the, from the tree, you will die. Didn't say if you only eat the one kind of fruit, you will die. If you eat any kind of fruit from the, from the tree, you would die. So it's the important thing is that we are speaking what God wants us to speak. Proverbs twenty-one twenty-three: He who guards his mouth and his tongue guards his soul from troubles. He who speaks the truth tells what is right but a false witness deceit. There is one who speaks rashly like the thrusts of a sword, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. Truthful lips will be established forever, but a lying tongue is only for a moment, but a false witness is deceit. So in this case, uh, this is playing on the fact that God hates a liar. So lying words are probably the worst kind of evil you can speak. God singles out the liar as particularly egregious in his sight. This is one of the um, scriptures that Pastor Joe was teaching this last week out of the book that he is writing. 
and I've been uh, editing the book. It's about finished, and I think you'll find it interesting. I encourage you to uh, get a copy of his book when he gets it published, because he speaks from the position of a soldier and talks about how when the soldier comes into the army, the first thing he gets is basic training. Well, as Christians, we should get basic training. We should um, go into a Bible study group or have a mentor or be discipled, and that's basic training. Most churches have what they call a foundations of faith course for people who just joined the church. Calvary Chapel, which a lot of you may have been in, uh, does that. And so um, that basic training to establish that foundation that you can build on is what's crucial. We have a lot of people sitting in pews in churches who call themselves Christians who don't act very much like Jesus. Well, these people have never been discipled. You know, Jesus said, go and make disciples. And discipling is, is time-consuming and not easy. And so the church says, oh, well, well, we'll preach the gospel and get people saved. That's more important. Well, in a sense, it is. But to have somebody who's just been saved and then not disciple them, basically they're open to an attack by the devil because they don't know anything. They don't know what's right and they don't know what's wrong and they don't know what to do and how to do it. So that basic training is crucial. But then he said you would go into advanced training and they would look at your skills and abilities. In this case, for the Christian, we look at their spiritual gifts and say, what has God gifted you to do? Well, how do you know what you've been gifted to do? Well, first of all, those things that you just naturally want to do is probably part of a spiritual gift. You know, if your gift is uh, oratory and, and you're a good speaker, he probably has gifted you to, you know, to be a preacher. So there's some tests you can take that will help you identify what your spiritual gifts are because most people have more than one. And uh, God wants you to be well-equipped. And so you say, oh, I've got my gift. I'm a servant, and that's what I do. Well, are, are there times when you have no opportunity to serve? Is there any other thing that you can do? So probably there is. So you need to identify those things. And the advanced training, advanced Christian training, is uh, what you need if you're uh, in the church and you haven't been discipled. You've you got to do self-study. And uh, get teaching tapes, watch Christian TV, listen to Christian radio, fill yourself up with the Word of God. And um, that will help that situation where you say, well, I, I see churches that are filled with milk-sucking baby Christians, and all they know is the gospel, which is great, but they've, they've plateaued off as spiritual adolescents. And what we want is we want to grow to higher and higher and higher spiritual understanding. Well, what I'm teaching is not milk for babies. This is, this is advanced spiritual understanding. And um, for many people, they may go, I don't get it. Like uh, Jesus' disciples, he said, you're speaking, there's, they said, you're speaking in tongues or speaking in parables. We don't understand what you mean. And so the parable of the sower explains what it means, you know, he, he uh, interprets the, the parable of the sower saying the, the seed that he is sowing is the word of God. And so here's the connection to sowing and reaping and the word of God. You sow the, the word of God. And um, 
this is what's so important. So Matthew twelve thirty four: for the mouth speaks out that which fills the heart. The good man brings out of his good treasure what is good, and the evil man brings out of his evil treasure what is evil. But I tell you that every careless word that people speak, they shall give an accounting for in the day of judgment. For by your words you will be justified, and by your words you will be condemned. In other words, when we stand before the judgment seat of Christ, he's not going to talk about what we did. He's going to talk about what we said. You will be judged by your words. Why? Because what is in your heart comes out your mouth. You know, if evil is in your heart, that's what comes out your mouth. But if the word of God and truth is in your heart, that's what comes out your mouth. The Bible is truth. You know, God cannot lie. So the word of God is truth. Now, is everything in the Bible true? Well, not exactly. For example, in uh, uh, the book of Job, Job's friends say some things that get God a little upset. They do not please God. So it's true that's what they said, but what they said was not true. And this is the risk of taking things out of context. You say, everything in the Bible is true, and therefore what Job's friends said must be true. No, it's true that's what they said, but what they said was not true. This is discernment. This is wisdom, knowing how to apply what God, God's word is, is teaching you. You know, he took, he took those friends of Job to task and said, if you're going to die if, if Job doesn't pray for you. Job prayed for them, and they got saved. But otherwise, they would have perished. So, um, okay, that thing about what's in your heart coming out your out your mouth, I, I mean, you just recognize that's true. That's, that's what you think about. That's what you got inside. It's going to come out on the outside. Matthew 18, 19 says, Again, I, that's Jesus, says to you, that if two of you agree on earth about anything that they may ask, 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 in other words, speak, it shall be done for them by my Father who is in heaven. For where two or three have gathered together in my name, I am there in their midst. Well, we know that scripture pretty well. Everybody quotes it a lot. It says, if two of you agree, so two people have come to agree on something that they're praying about, he says, I will bring it to pass. It, it's, it's a done deal. You can take it to the bank. But the two who agree on something have to be consistent with the word of God. You can't pray something that's ungodly and expect God to, to bless it. That's not going to happen. And the reason we say two or more is that, you know, if three people can't agree on something, what you're trying to agree about is probably wrong. So it isn't that you get anything you ask for. You know, people say, well, you can't just ask for a Maserati. God's a generous God. He likes to bless us abundantly. So he just might get you what you ask for if he thinks you deserve it and you could handle it. But in many cases, people don't get what they pray for because, as um, James says, you, you ask with wrong motives. You know, you're, you're not asking for something that's, that's right. And he wants what's best for you. And if what you're asking for is not best for you, he will say, no, because I have something for you that's better. Wait, you know. So when people say the answer to prayer may be yes, no, or maybe or later, um, you got to get that into context and say, well, 
the reason God would say no now is because he already has something better for you that will come later. So many times you say, oh God, this is what I want. And God's going, well, no, I'm not going to grant that to you. So it isn't that God doesn't hear your prayer. It's not that God doesn't love you, because he does. And the reason he may say no to an inappropriate prayer is because he does love you, just like our kids. Kid wants something that you know he shouldn't have. So you say no, and he goes, oh, you don't love me anymore. Well, yes, you do. But why would you give him something that's bad for them? You shouldn't. Not if you're a Christian believer. So this is an extremely important prayer. It's one of the most powerful prayers in the Bible to, for dealing with healing. When you can get three or more together and you got, you know, Jesus the Father and the Holy Spirit with you, you got a crowd. You're crowdsourcing something that everybody agrees needs to happen. You lay hands on somebody for healing and they're going to get healed. But doubt and unbelief cancel out you know, faith. You, you can't have a, a lot of faith and a lot of unbelief. It, it just doesn't work. So when people say, I, I prayed and I didn't get what I prayed for, it's probably because either something's hindering it, like uh, doubt and unbelief, or issues that un like unconfessed sin or unforgiveness. That's the most common ones. There probably are others. So the prayer of agreement is very powerful. James tells us we don't have because we do not ask in James 4.2. So a lot of people simply are not asking because they think, well, God already knows what I need. Why doesn't he provide it? Well, he's like your earthly father. He wants to hear you ask for what you want because it pleases him to be able to provide it then. The father in heaven is the same. So... I already mentioned verse 3 where it says we do not receive because we ask with wrong motives. You know, if your motive is wrong, don't expect God to bless it. Now, what happens is the world, which is connected to Satan, Satan is called the God of this world, that is the unbelievers are under the power of Satan. And Satan doesn't want us to receive what God wants to provide. He does not want us to be blessed. He does not want us to be prosperous. He does not want us to succeed. He wants us to fail. And so one of the ways he works with the world, who are very receptive to evil thoughts, is that he trivializes God. He trivializes the Bible. Oh, that's, that's passe. This is, this is 3,000 years old. It's meaningless in today's you know, time of science and all this. He discredits the word. He trivializes what God is and what God says. And so they use words to describe it. They say, oh, you're one of those prosperity gospel preachers, you know. Oh, you're a, you're a blab it and grab it preacher. Yeah, you bet. That is exactly what I am. I believe that God wants to prosper me. I believe that God wants to bless me. I believe that God is generous. I believe what God says is true. And so when I speak it, I expect it to happen. What can I say? 81 years old, traveling around the country in an RV, and I don't, never ask for money because God provides. I count on God to provide my needs, and he always has. The money is always there to pay for what he needs. My budget 
annual budget is $22,000. That's what I spend on repairs and maintenance and overnight stays and food and blown, blown trailer tires and diesel fuel. You know, I get a $3,000 bill for diesel fuel. I got to pay it. The money's there to pay it. How does that happen? God provides. Money comes from unexpected places. Sometimes um, all I know is I balance my checking account and the, the amount in my checking account stays about the same. Well, in the natural world, you can't spend more than you earn and have your checking account stay about the same. I'm an old retired guy. I live on a pension and Social Security. And if I want wind up short, I got to take money out of savings. But my savings keeps going up. It's, it's more this year than it was last year. It's more last year than it was the previous year. And yet, I spend more than I earn. Does this make sense? Absolutely not. This is God. This is God at work. Because I am obedient to what God tells me to do, and I do what the Bible says to do. I just read it. I say, oh, it must be true. I guess I'll do that. Mark 16, lay hands on the sick, they shall recover. So I laid hands on the sick, they got healed. And I've been doing that for 18 years, and I've seen deaf ears opened. I've seen limbs grow out, you know. I've seen miraculous things happen. And so it's simply because I believe that that can happen. Because God says it can. He gives us examples of how it works. That's what Jesus did in three years of earthly ministry. Here's how the kingdom works. Here's how the kingdom is organized. Here's how you operate in the kingdom. Now, I'm going out of town. You take care of the kingdom. That's the command he gave us. Romans 10.8. What does it that is scripture say? The word is near you, in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith which we are preaching. That if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. This is New Testament salvation under the covenant of grace, not Old Testament salvation under works. So, um, for with the heart a person believes, resulting in righteousness, and with the mouth he confesses, resulting in salvation. Salvation comes by speaking. You believed it, and so you said it. And that's what God wants to hear. I believe it. And so, therefore, I'm going to confess it that I believe it is true, and I have made Jesus Christ my Lord and Savior. Isaiah 57, 18. I have seen his ways, but I will heal him. I will lead him from the righteous, lead him, the righteous, at <clears throat> and restore comfort to him and to his mourners, creating the praise of the lips. Peace, peace to him who is far and to him who is near, says the Lord, and I will heal him. So he's talking about the praise of the lips, bringing peace peace when I speak peace I expect to get peace and so my house which uh, Pastor Joe was listening to me talk about this a couple weeks ago I said you know I take a bottle of oil and I anoint my house I anoint the property lines around my house I anoint the doorknob and I say no unrighteousness may pass this this place and so you know I say no evil can come across this line. I make a line all the way around my property. And people come and visit me and they say, oh, your house is so peaceful. Why is it peaceful? Because I spoke peace over it. I said, no evil, no unrighteousness. It's got to stay out. can't come in. They broke into my neighbor's car and stole some stuff. They don't break into my truck that's sitting in my driveway. Why? 
didn't see anything in the truck worth stealing maybe, but no, in reality, <laughs> there was. And um, they didn't break into my truck. All I can say is, if you're obedient to God, God's obedient to what you speak. Speak, speak peace. Speak safety. Speak those good thoughts. So uh, this is so important, and people tend not to believe it. They say, oh, well, it's just, you know, that's a funny idea. Well, that's Satan speaking. Don't, don't believe what he says. He's, he's a liar. He's a deceiver. He's a counterfeiter. He comes up with stuff that sounds good, looks good, seems to make sense. It's just wrong. So this, uh, this, this um, idea of, you know, getting what you say is what I'm trying to emphasize here is that it it's comes from the words of your mouth. It says, um, where are we here? Mark 11, 22. Jesus answered, saying to them, Have faith in God. Some translations say, Have faith of God. Well, God's got a lot of faith. There's nothing that God can't do, so he probably has a lot of faith. If you have the faith of God, you've really got a lot of faith. So it isn't so important to have faith in God. It's important to have the faith of God. Truly I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, be taken up and cast into the sea, and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that what he says is going to happen, it will be granted him. Now, Jesus tended to exaggerate. He liked to use examples that were outlandish so you would remember it. So we don't go around moving mountains unless there's a mountain that needs to be moved. That, that would be testing God. Say, well, there's a mountain, I'm going to move it to prove that what God's word is true. But God is going, that moving that mountain is going to cause problems you don't realize. We, we, we don't want to move that mountain. But there's times when a mountain needs to be moved. And in and, and the spiritual sense. You know, not the physical sense, but there's something that is an obstacle that I can't get past, and so we want to move that mountain. It says, um, does not doubt in his heart. I mean, you have to believe, but believes that what he says is going to happen, it will be granted him. Therefore, I say to you, all things for which you pray and ask, believe that you have received them, and they will be granted to you. In other words, you pray, and you believe that God has heard that prayer and is is responding to it but what is going to happen has happened in the in the supernatural realm but you have to get it into the natural realm you, you've got to appropriate that and you do that through through prayer and by believing and speaking what you believe is going to happen so this works for healing it works for a lot of things I say you know if, if it's instant it's a miracle if it takes a while, it's normal healing that works with your body's ability to uh, repair itself. So when you cut yourself, it'll heal. But if you cut the finger off, it doesn't grow back. Because if it did grow back, that would be a, a restorative miracle. Does that ever happen? You bet it does. People give testimonies of having had internal organs that were removed by surgery that were back in there according to the x-rays. That's a restorative miracle. So um, this is one of the most powerful scriptures in the Bible. We say, speak to the mountain, tell the mountain about your God instead of telling God about your mountain. The request must not violate God's law or be frivolous. Science shows that the part of the brain that controls speech controls the rest of the brain. It's a higher order part of our brain. Animals can't, they don't have language, they don't speak. But humans do, it, it's a higher order thing. And so... That part of the brain that controls speech 
is superior to all other parts of the brain. A brain doesn't know if it's good or bad, like a computer that does whatever you program it to do, garbage in, garbage out. So if you program your brain with garbage, what comes out of your brain is, is garbage. It doesn't know if it's good or bad, it just does what you've told it to do. So um, really, we are a lot like a computer. You know, we've got the autonomic nervous system, which is the operating system in the computer, and we've got the data bus running between our brain and nervous system and all that. It's a lot like a computer, and it works in a similar way. As long as you understand that and know how to deal with it, it's powerful. It can also be a big problem. So, you know, computers get viruses. So do we but you can put a virus scanner in your computer to stop the virus before it gets in. You get my gist. Third John 1, 2, Beloved, I, Paul, pray that in all respects you may prosper and be in good health just as your soul prospers. Well, a soul is the realm of the mind, will, and emotions. So he wants your mind, will, and emotions to prosper. But when he says, as your soul prospers, I want you to prosper. In other words, okay, you're... you're, you're Mind, will, and emotions can prosper, but I also want to prosper you like that's being prospered. Does that mean financial prosperity? You bet it does. Does it mean successful in the things you set your hands to? Is that, is that what we talk about when we say this is prospering? Yes, it is. You know, I'm a blab it and grab it guy. Speak it. So, it, it, you know, prosper and be in good health. I, I never get sick. I can't remember the last time I was sick. So, you know, am I prospering in good health? I think so. You know, is it because I've got a strong immune system and I do those things that uh, tend to benefit building up my immune system, like stoke a lot of vitamin C? Yes, sure. I take zinc. Yes, it's good for your immune system. So I do those things that I think are beneficial to my body so that the rest of me is not suffering. You know, God doesn't want me sick. I can't do what he commands me to do if I'm sick. So he clearly does not want me to be sick. He prevents me from getting sick. But he can also heal me if I do get sick. So it works both ways. But he does not want to prosper you beyond your ability. In other words, if you give a million dollars to an eight-year-old kid, probably not going to work out real well. So don't pray for things that you're not capable of handling. You know, you, you just don't give an eight-year-old kid a hot rod and say, go out and drive it fast. That this, this, this would not be wise. Proverbs 28, 25b, he who trusts in the Lord will prosper. He who trusts in his own heart is a fool. So if you believe you can do it in your own strength, you're foolish. You can't. The scripture says without God, you can do nothing. Well, there's things you can do. He's talking about spiritual things. You can't do anything spiritual in your own power. You just can't. It doesn't work. You're fooling yourself. So he is a fool if he tries to do that. But he who trusts in the Lord will prosper. Prosper how? Any way God wants you to. And he wants you to, you know, prosper in, in every way. That's, that's what his word says. So... Trust is obedience. In other words, if we trust God, 
we are obedient to God. It, they're really a different dimension of the same thing. You can't be obedient to God and not trust God. You've got to believe that God is good. You've got to believe that God is just, that God is honest, and so on down the list of the characteristics of God. God cannot lie. You know, there are things that God cannot do. He can't violate his own laws, but uh, he can't violate his character. But as long as you trust that God will operate within the boundaries of his own character and his own laws, it's, it's a done deal. He'll be obedient to it. He's not going to ask you to do something that is detrimental. Proverbs 9.21, many plans are in a man's heart, but the counsel of the Lord will stand. So we make plans, which is okay. You, you, you need to make plans. You, you've got to lay out a strategy for what you're going to do and respond to what God has asked you to do, particularly in my case where he doesn't give me a lot of detail. He, he just gives me a rough idea, and then i got to go out there and figure it out. So like he just gave me my itinerary last week, and I'm to go first to Orlando, then I am to go to Jacksonville, then I am to go to Columbia, South Carolina, then I am to go to Virginia. Well, were those places I actually intended to go? It is along my normal itinerary, but why specifically those particular places? Then I am to go to um, um, Lansing, Michigan. Was I planning on going to Lansing, Michigan? No. I had no plan to go to Lansing, Michigan, but he told me to go there. Then I'm to leave there and go to Indianapolis because I wanted to go to Indianapolis because that's where my son lives and I want to go see my grandkids. But on the way from Lansing to Indianapolis, you can bet your bippy, something's going to happen. It's a two-day trip. I can do about 250 miles a day. And uh, somewhere between Lansing and Indianapolis, ministry will happen. Something unexpected. So even if it's crazy... God's plan is wiser than your plan. So you lay out a strategy and then you, you turn it over to God and say, okay, God, lead and guide me by the Holy Spirit to what I need to do when I'm here. I'm going to get to Lansing, Michigan and go, oh, what am I doing here, you know? And God will give me some kind of uh, guidance. A lot of times it's like a riddle. I have to solve the riddle. He'll say, go find the old man. How many old men are there in Lansing, Michigan, you know? But he, he starts giving you little bits and pieces to, to lead me into the path that I'm to go on. It's fun. And, and sometimes it's crazy. It's like, what are you doing? But then you get there and it's like, well, it was all worth it. 1 Corinthians 3.18, Let no man deceive himself. If any man among you thinks he is wise in his, this age, he be, must become foolish so that he may become wise. Uh, that's a little hard to get a hold of, isn't it? But what he's saying is, don't try to figure it out on your own. Do what I tell you to do. For the wisdom of the world is foolishness before God. For it is written, he is the one who catches the wise in their craftiness. And again, the Lord show, knows the reasonings of the wise that they are useless. So then let no one boast in men, for all things belong to you. God will take care of you. He'll show you what to do. Don't try to work out the details. If you believe it, you can have it. You can talk yourself into believing, and you can talk yourself out of it. So this is kind of the essence of what's going on here is that, you know, it's really easy to talk yourself into something that you ought not to do. 
it's real easy to talk yourself out of something that you know you should do. So that's that thing about wise versus foolish. Don't talk yourself into or out of something that you know better. And I'm good at that. I am really, really good at that. The other day, he told me to take in my patio table. And I was putting, in, putting off taking in my patio table in kind of the last minute because I like to go out and sit on the patio. Well, windstorm came last week, grabbed the umbrella, tipped the whole thing over, broke it. It's like, he told me to take the table in, right? I just didn't do it. Well, I didn't realize that that was the reason. He didn't tell me there's a windstorm coming and it's going to destroy it if you don't do it. He just said, do it. And I didn't. And later I regretted. It's like, oh, man, broke it. Is that a disaster? Not, I mean, it was an old, old table. It didn't look all that great to begin with. So if you believe it, you can have it. If you speak it, you will get it. Second Peter 1.3, Grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and, our Je and of Jesus our Lord, seeing that his divine power has granted to us everything pertaining to life and godliness. Through the true knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and excellence, for by these he has granted to us his precious and magnificent promises, so that by them you may become partakers of the divine nature. Big words that are hard to kind of follow the gist of. But basically, throughout the Bible, there are promises of God. Most of the promises are conditional. Like the first promise is, you know, honor your mother and father that you may have long life. Well, right off the bat in Genesis, he's told us that your lifespan is not fixed. You can have a longer life by honoring your father and mother. You can have a shorter life by disrespecting your mother and father. And it goes on to give us other promises, which the Bible describes as precious and magnificent, but we have to find the one that is appropriate for our particular need. And you, you should be aware of what the promises are. You can, you can buy a list of all the promises of God because there's lots of them. And in the Old Testament, most of the promises were given to the Jews or to Israel. So you say, well, I'm a Gentile. What's that got to do with me? A lot. Look at the word for the promise that applies to your need and appropriate. You appropriate it by speaking it. God, your word says that, therefore I, and you speak the promise. Ephesians 2.11, therefore remember that formerly you, the Gentiles in the flesh, remember that you were at that time separate from Christ, excluded from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenants of promise before you got saved, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you were formerly far off, have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who made both groups into one and broke down the barrier of the dividing wall. So the dividing wall has been taken away. And the Bible says, God says there's, there's neither male nor female nor Jew nor Greek. In God's eyes, they're all the same. They're humans. They are children of God. And so um, th those promises that were to Israel or to, to the Jews also are given to us because we are grafted in as spiritual Jews. When, when you accept Jesus Christ, who was a Jewish rabbi, as your Lord and Savior, you're automatically grafted in 
as part of Israel, spiritual Israel. You don't become a Jew, you become a part of the family of spiritual Israel. And that's why we study the end times prophecies, which are all about Israel. Everything that's described in, you know, the, the end times, Daniel and, and you know, John's, John's book is all about the Jews in Israel. It's not about us. In fact, it, you can't even identify that the United States is, is in there. It, it, it just doesn't exist. And that's because, I believe, that at the point of the rapture, the, Christ, the, the church is taken out, leaving behind all the pagans, and the pagans turn the world into a disaster area, um, I think the United States ceases to exist. We're already becoming irrelevant. The rest of the world points at us and says, we don't care what you guys think. You know, we're going to do what we want to do. Look, look at Western Europe. Look at the Middle East. They, they hate us. They, they don't want to listen to what we have to say, and they sure aren't going to help us out. So I think the United States just basically goes down the tube after the rapture, we get into the seven years of tribulation, world gets destroyed by fire, and then renewed. It's it's not totally destroyed because the Bible says the, the the earth is forever, so it doesn't get it doesn't go away. It gets messed up pretty bad, probably nuclear war, and then he renews it, and we have the thousand year millennial reign. So, promises made to the Jews in Israel are also ours. And this idea that, oh, God has done with the Jews and he's turned everything over to the Gentile church is just not true. That's not correct. So I thank you for the opportunity to speak today. I hope that uh, what I taught is understandable and that you will use my list of the scriptures to meditate and try to get uh, you know, more out of it. There, there's a lot in those particular scriptures and many more in the Bible that talk, talk about the words of your mouth and what what happens when you speak evil or blessings so Joe you want to close us out thank you Jim yep well um, the altar's open you just heard a deeper message. So, you know, if you need healing, you want prayer, you know, come on up front. You want to renew your commitment, you know, come on up front. The altar is always open. For those out over the Internet, you know, um, the Bible is true. I'm going to rephrase my thing. I always say the Bible is true. I'm going to rephrase it because I'm going to say everything that God says in the Bible is true. <laughs> the friends of Job, yeah, right. It weren't well, that w those things weren't true. So everything that God says in the Bible is true, and I, that's awesome. So listen, um, the altar's open. Come on up front, and for all the all of you online, we thank you. If you don't know Christ as your Savior, you know you can very easily just by asking Him into your heart. You know, repent and uh, be saved. Simple as that. Believe on Jesus. So you can do that, not with this, but with this. And I'll see you in the kingdom of heaven if I don't see you down here. So God bless you all. And thanks, Jim. And uh, we love you. Take care.
Bye.